Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast, your weekly roundup of the best of Bailiwick Sport. Coming up on today's show, with the local athletics season underway and major championship qualifying times up for grabs, we'll speak to Tom Druce from Guernsey Athletics and leading local sprinter Abby Galpin ahead of a big summer for their sport. We'll also look back at the inaugural Guernsey Press Elite Foursomes Golf Event, a brand new tournament designed to fine-tune the island's best ahead of the next Interinsula. And we'll round up the best of the bank holiday weekend action and preview the week ahead too. I'm Tony Kerr, uh, here with me as always, Rob Batiste. Hello. And Gareth the Prevot. Hi Tony. Well let's start uh, as ever with our moments of the week. Uh, Gareth, what stood out for you over the last seven days? Well, it was nice to be back at um, the KG5 in a full-on cricket season opener. Um, and I must admit, um, it was just nice to see uh, Matt Stokes out there showing how classy a player he is. I mean, um, I get to see him a lot over the winter anyway playing hockey, where he's a very one of the island's best hockey players too. But um, he's nowadays, he's like the leading all-round cricketer on, in Guernsey. And um, he was captaining one of the invitational sides and his side were looking like they were likely to lose and he made 45, 46 off 21 balls and made it look very easy. And it was just, it was just a nice way to sort of start the season. A couple of pretty good contests down there on Saturday. Uh, I felt a bit bad because I was uh, you know, rather enjoying the hospitality on the Legends Terrace uh, as discussed last week. Uh, that was noticed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, uh, but the action in the middle was, uh, was pretty decent. Yeah, there's some um, some decent um, batting performances for sure. I mean, it's funny how um, when you start the season, batsmen seem to be more in nick than bowlers. Sort of at the start of the season, there was some of the bowling was rather erratic. Let's say there was quite a lot of wides chucked down. Um, the exception to that was Luke Bishard, who um, was probably sort of like the outstanding bowler of last season. He continued that form uh, last Saturday. He was he was excellent. And the really good thing I like about um, Bish is um, uh, his his attitude and also how he is um, learning his trade as well. I mean, I was walking around the boundary and he'd bowled a really good over, but with one bad ball, which had gone for four. And he knew it. And it's just the, the attitude was, I need to improve on that. Not I bowled five good balls. His attitude was, I bowled one bad ball there and I can't allow that to happen again. And um, he, he is going to be, I think, in the Ireland squad for many, many years to come. Um, other than that, yeah, there was um, some decent batting. Um, it's nice to see um, Zach Damerall playing like he did. He was last year's Critter of the Year and he came in and showed like uh, he's going to continue that form into this year. Um, but yeah, all bodes well, I think, for a, for a good season ahead. Good to hear you talk about Luke Bishard there, Gareth. Um, do you think he's pretty close to the Ireland squad already? Or do you think he needs to put on a a yard up to a pace to be effective because he's obviously got pretty metronomic with his his um, bowling and he's very, very straight and doesn't give much away but against better players they might he might need a little bit more pace what do you think i think there might be a bit more pace to come with him i mean he's still only a teenager and he's still growing up but i think when it comes to the format of the games that guernsey play they very much look towards building pressure and he he bowls that sort of nagging length fourth stump sort of line and he is really hard to get away so i think um i, I think he will be probably if you were picking an, an island squad of say 13 or 14 now he'd be definitely be in it would he be in the starting 11 probably now um 
Um, but I still think he is, he's only going to get better, and I think he will add probably yard of pace as, as he's um, still uh, growing into his body. Yes, good, good. Yeah, all in all, uh, a cracking curtain raiser, I think, for the season. Uh, Rob, your moment of the week? Um, football, um, Ben Coulter. Uh, I've got to pick him out from St Martin's performance um, at Blanche Pier Lane on Tuesday evening in the rearranged game against Manza. Um, first half, um, led by Ben Saints, r- basically ran over Manza um, physically. Um, Manza were playing some nice, decent football from the back, but St Martin's were just on it. Best performance from them this season, I think. Um, that first hour, they were so fast, so tenacious. They really, really wanted it. Um, no more so than Ben, who's played well this season. And you know, he's not the player he he was because of his really damaged knees. But he's got fantastic art that boy, and what an engine! And he was just everywhere, just everywhere, and backed up the likes of Etty Leprovo, um, Louis Hunter, and the back line of people like Sarge Lanuri, the captain, and Jamie Dodd. Manza, good footballers, but physically they couldn't keep. He couldn't. Contest with um, um with um Saints, um, who if I fancy if they beat Sylvans on Saturday night, well, that'll be more or less it, I think. Yeah, Ben Coulter, uh, not among the modern players to make that top one hundred list. Uh, how far away was he? Um, he's pretty close. I would have thought he's um he's another of those who spent a lot of years away from the island, uh, so we probably haven't seen the peak years. Um, he came back. Um, probably what, three years ago now, something like that. And he was he re- made the Marashi side again. Um, I didn't think he had a particularly good game that day at Springfield when Guernsey lost. But um, what you get with Ben is absolute fierce commitment, power, dedication to the cause. And if, if Guernsey, if all Guernsey Premier League footballers were like Ben Coulter, what a spectacle it would be. I mean, the bloke is brilliant in terms of his commitment and um, I love watching somebody like that with so much heart. He, to be fair, if, if Ben Coulter had been around when sort of GFC were hitting their pit, he would have been a fan's favourite for sure. Because oh. it, just box to box midfielder. I mean, I remember when he got he very. Um, it was one of those PC things to do, I suppose. But he won a joint man of the match in an under twenty one Marathi when he was head, shoulders, torso, waist above everyone else. But because Guernsey didn't win, they actually lost on the penalty shootout. I think he had to share the the trophy. I think it was the Jersey captain of the day. I can't remember who it was, but he was so good that day. And yeah, he, he would have been such an asset to GFC had he been here in, in his peak. But he he went off and did very well, sort of down under. Yeah, scary thought to have to come up against 11 Ben Coulters. Very scary. Well, that's uh, great stuff. We're going to talk about athletics in a moment. Um, I, th- I suppose that would be my highlight of the week, was watching uh, Cameron Chalmers uh, on Sunday tear up the, the track at Footslane, uh, a Guernsey all-comers record, the fastest 400-metre time uh, ever recorded on, on local soil. And uh, yeah, I mean, a, a tough job to, to be in the same race as him. Uh, you know, Dale Garland and, and Josh Duke, uh, you know, sort of left trailing, not surprisingly, when you're coming up against someone who's reached that level. It's just a shame Dale couldn't turn the clock back 10 years or so and be at his, sort of around his peak and, and challenging um, Cameron. It would have been a fantastic race. And fair play to Dale um, for putting himself out there. I mean, the guy's 40 now, nowhere near what he was. But he's prepared to run and put himself out there as a as a rabbit there for for Cameron to aim at and um, yeah we talked about Ben Coulter being a great for football um, 
where will we have been without Dale and his influence on Guernsey Athletics? Yeah, fantastic stint. And we're going to talk uh, more athletics uh, in part two. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. Now, it is going to be a big summer for Guernsey's top athletes. Uh, For some, it'll be about getting back to UK competition. Uh, Others will be eyeing Commonwealth Games qualifying times, while for Cameron and Alistair Chalmers, all eyes are on the Olympics. Cameron, as I mentioned before, returned to action for the first time in 19 months on Sunday, recording the best ever 400-metre time on Guernsey soil, uh, 45.98 he ran. Uh, well, earlier I was joined by our top woman at the moment, Abby Galpin, and Guernsey Athletics Development Officer Tom Druce to reflect on that first meeting of the season and preview the summer ahead. And I started by asking Tom what he made of Cameron's run at the weekend. Obviously, I've overseen his training this year, so I think we knew that that was kind of on the cards. Um, that was the main reason he made the decision to to get involved and get out there and you know put himself out there really because obviously he knew that sort of local people would take notice, but more importantly. Um, for him that people on the mainland would be looking as well um, so he was he was a little bit sort of uh, unsure at a certain point whether he was going to do it but we, we sort of spoke spoke over he went and tried to Matt Elias his coach and yeah he was feeling very very confident and rightly so and uh, yeah it was pretty much around the sort of time that I would have probably predicted if you put me on the spot beforehand so yeah I think he did a great job. Yeah it is kind of crazy to think it's been so long since uh, he's raced and I, th- I thought he did look a touch nervous actually on the on the blocks. Yeah, no, I think he definitely was. He was. Um, I kind of deliberately tried to set the meet up so he had a, a nice long, um, you know, a, a period of time to do his prep um, with without other races going on around him and stuff. And um, you, you know, I think I've probably been been there myself. It is quite nerve wracking performing in front of your local crowd really and uh and the fact that he hadn't raced for 19 months as you say the last time he raced um was at the the world champs actually in the relay in in 2019 so um yeah a bit of a change of scenery (laughs) from that but yeah no he was definitely he was definitely nervous but that's the right thing and actually you know it's it's interesting you notice that because that's you need that and so the, the kids when they do get nervous is actually a good thing and it's just a case of channeling that um, in the right way. Yeah, I suppose to the layman, you know, you'd think uh, someone who's running, they've just got to put one foot in front of another, but there is so much process and thought process behind every kind of segment of the race, isn't there? I think the higher level you get to, the more, um, yeah, the more technical it gets, the more tactical, and yeah, there's there's more things that can go wrong as well, because, you know, the smallest little mistake can, can make actually quite a big difference, and um, it's been a really good experience for me working with him, um, you know, quite closely over the last, well, coming up for a year now. Um, because you know there's not going to be many athletes coming out of this island of, of his level and so you know it's it, it does become more obvious how how important all the little details are and how it's going to add up hopefully to um, you know a PB for him this year when he needs it most. Yeah brilliant and Abby you weren't racing on Sunday but I think you were down there um, what's it like to see someone of Cam's level uh, you know on the track achieving that kind of performance? Yeah it is really great to watch just to because obviously he is obviously a step up above everyone alongside Allah. So it is really great just to watch them sort of show everyone their class. Uh, it does remind me of when Allah did his three hurdles last year and that was just insane to watch and his four hurdles as well. It's just, yeah, it's just a new level really. Let's come back to the Chalmers brothers a bit later on because they've obviously got a big season ahead. But for you, Abby, what's your season looking like? What are your goals? Yeah, so um, I'm obviously chasing the Commonwealth's B standard, which is 24-3 for the 200. Um, so that will be 
that is my main target, obviously. Um, but I'm going to try and hit a few different competitions as well. So I've got um, the England under-23 under nationals um, in mid-June, which hopefully I need, I need to qualify for first. But hopefully that'll be a really good competition. And then the week after that is British Champs, um, which Cam will be at as well because that's Olympic trials. Not quite for the same reason, but <laughs> um, <laughs> plan on making the Olympic team. But yeah, that should be, those are my main competitions as well. So that should be really good. Fantastic. And obviously last year, you know, we, we saw you have a, a great summer on, on the uh, the track here in Guernsey, but how excited are you to get back to being able to compete in those kind of events where, yeah, you're, you're rubbing shoulders with, with Britain's best? Yeah, it is going to be really exciting. I think my first racing will be particularly nerve wracking because obviously I haven't raced people that I don't know if you know I, mean, I know everyone around me what they're going to run sort of thing but obviously when you get to a track in England you don't know who you're with you don't know what they're going to do so it's going to be exciting but I think it'll be quite nerve-wracking as well to start with but it should be fun and I guess that Commonwealth goal has been on the horizon for a little while um how, how difficult or, or easy has it been to keep up the motivation levels throughout this this sort of pandemic period um I think um this, the first lockdown I didn't really have any trouble with motivation at all it was really easy just to keep motivated I didn't mind running on grass or missing out on the gym just doing home stuff instead uh the second lockdown back in January that was it wasn't too bad because it's quite short as well uh, I did miss the gym a little bit when I was away and it wasn't as fun in the winter and the rain I think it snowed on me once so that wasn't too great but I think you know you have to just remember the end goal and then that just helps me get through and in terms of yeah getting to that standard you know you're pretty confident of, of reaching that point I mean, I think it's going to take a lot. We did, me and Tom had a little look at the breakdown of how the elite women run their 200s. And I mean, I was quite surprised to see that they do tail off at the end. They do, and I do the same thing. So I've realized actually it's not the endurance that I need. I actually just need to improve my top speed to get there. So my speed's been looking good recently. So hopefully, um, <laughs> hopefully we can keep that going and just put a perfect race together. I think that's what I need. Yeah, and Tom, from your perspective this summer then, obviously there's, there's yeah, a lot of different athletes with different goals. Obviously, you know, we, we've mentioned Cam and Alla, potentially very possibly Olympic aspirations, Commonwealth Games, Island Games in a couple of years' time. How do you sort of balance all of that and also just getting new people into the sport? Yeah, no, obviously it's, um, it's good that we've got that sort of uh, wider range, I guess, now of, of different, different athletes with different aspirations because... Um, I think in the past, like when uh, Dale and Lee obviously both went to Olympics, but they were very much sort of, you know, really, really grasping um, like to, to get there. You know, it was it was sort of just, oh, can we get there? But I think, um, you know, with Cam in particular, obviously probably pretty much knows that barring injury or some sort of other unforeseen circumstance, he, he will get there for the relay and it's kind of anything else is a bonus. So he, he's very much sort of at that, that, that top end and Ala, um, you know, is looking really, really good as well. And then, as you say, like we've got the Commonwealth on the horizon um, and probably got, I think we've probably got about five or six that are looking very realistic for that. And, you know, there'll be a couple of others who potentially think they could as well. Um, so you're looking at sort of six to eight, he'll be shooting for it. And uh, the Island Games thing is a little bit of a spanner in the works, I guess, because this year um, doesn't really count for qualifying. It will be it will be the year after that counts because um, I, I don't think I think current form is really really important. So when I do rewrite the uh, the criteria finally, which is something I do need to get around to, um, it, it has to be for me. It has to be the calendar year um, 2022 going into if we can using summer 23 as well because you know your form in in 2021 is irrelevant come the Island Games in 2023 in my opinion so um, but yeah like you say then we've got loads of youngsters as well who have missed 
missed travel off Ireland for, for a long time also. You know, as much as the elite, like Abby spoke about, it, it will be quite unfamiliar um, being on a track with people who you, you don't know exactly what they're going to do because every race that the kids are doing and that she's done and everyone else in between, you get there, you know roughly what level your peers are at. You've seen them in training or you've raced two weeks prior and and you know it's not it's not really that race experience it's not the same thing so um yeah we definitely need to need to get back to that and i think late season we will we will look to but obviously within the parameters of what's um, allowed and also what's sort of you know probably ethically right as well which is probably you know we have to wait and see yeah i guess it has been a tough juggling act last summer and, and even planning for what kind of schedule you'll, you, you, you know, you've put together this summer? Obviously, as we said, things kicked off on Sunday. Um, yeah, how does it look and, and, and kind of what are the big moments for, for people to look out for? Yeah, um, so we normally start in April, actually, and like historically. So sort of because of the most recent lockdown, I um, sort of delayed it by a couple of weeks, which I think was right because a lot of people still, you know, weren't quite ready. And actually, to be honest, some of the winter sports seasons being extended did impact a little bit on some of the age groups um taking part so obviously it was the right thing to sort of wait um wait a couple of weeks and uh yeah now we're sort of um obviously going to kick into gear a bit more come the end of may um looking on bank the bank holiday weekend at the end of may we're going to have quite a long session on the sunday of athletics going to try and have a bit of a festival um which i'm still kind of working on at the moment but it should include sort of all age groups all abilities and and quite a few events as well so and maybe some sort of slightly novelty events maybe some relays and stuff as well so that's that's kind of in the pipeline for the immediate future and then after that it's just a case of trying to um keep some track and some field um on going on every sort of two to three weeks throughout the summer all the way through to september basically and um yeah it, just allowing people without saturating the calendar with allowing people to achieve the goals they need to achieve whether that be the commonwealth games standards or whether it just be you know getting to races next year like sort of qualifying for nationals next year and such like and things like that so just giving as many opportunities as we can for everybody yeah brilliant and you guys were right on it last summer um in terms of getting back at the sort of first opportunity after the first lockdown and and with it came a fair amount of exposure nationally obviously it was kind of slightly ahead of the game um have you been able to sort of build on that in terms of maybe it's too early but looking ahead you know has that kicked off conversations about maybe bringing over teams uh, squads you know more elite athletes yeah i have had um, some communications with sort of england athletics and, and welsh athletics particularly but um i think it's at the moment they've kind of got more not more important things to worry about but there's other other things to line up um as they come out of lockdown and um, i think to be fair money is a problem in our sport um right now in the uk because obviously the revenues during during lockdown of uh, well you know the, the whole of the past 12 to 18 months has just been affected um you know jobs have been lost and everything else that comes with that so i think in terms of sorting things like that out, it might be a little bit challenging at this point. But but we definitely sort of, like you said, we we moved up a, a gear a little bit in terms of exposure in certain areas. And um, that included sort of, you know, our main media on the mainland for athletics, Athletics Weekly, which is a magazine that's starting to go online more and more, kind of, you know, not dissimilar to, to what we're achieving here, I guess. So, um, yeah, so it, I think we are in a better position and I think it will be helpful for people probably like Abby and other people of that level who are aspiring to that. Like national um, level you know in terms of sort of being recognized and uh, as you know where they're from and the fact that Guernsey's hopefully we're doing like a good job in that regard 
Yeah, I suppose it's obvious, as you were saying before, you know, it's been a while since you've raced against people you don't know, but um, do you get a sense that there's a real sort of growing reputation about Guernsey, Guernsey Athletics? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, from when they do their announcing at the British Champs and stuff, they do love to mention Guernsey whenever <laughs> Peter's racing or Cam's comes up. They always like to get a little thing in about Guernsey. So I definitely think it's getting on the map for sure. I think um last year with obviously us racing first and things like that I think it definitely will have drawn attention to us yeah and you know obviously we mentioned the Chalmers brothers a lot and I'm sure we will do over the course of the summer but um do you get a sense that that their achievements are already sort of driving on not only just everyone else in the club but yeah even sort of bringing new faces to to the track yeah I think it's definitely very inspiring to see them just become such a world-class athlete because um, obviously anyone that knows them before they did athletics knows that they were just you know school kids playing football or things like that so it does show that you know if anyone wants to do athletics then it is worth a shot and you don't know how good you could be. Does it, does it make it easier to attract um, youngsters into the sport when you've got poster boys like that? Yeah I think a little bit I think um, I think also the, the key thing for us within the sport is that recognizing the, the boys weren't being pushed really hard at athletics when they were young. Um, they were involved in the club on and off. Ala was more so than Cameron, but um, they were definitely more sort of into football and, and multi-sport really. And sort of, you know, it's. I think I remember Ala kicking into gear a bit more in 2015. He basically decided he wanted to go to the Island Games in Jersey. I think the hit between him and Chris, his father, they decided they, that he wanted to go. And so it was like, oh, I better go and do some training. And then suddenly you've got this kid who's looking quite talented, just coming up on the horizon in like a number of events. Um, and then obviously then it just all went from there. And, um, you know, and it, he he generally, genuinely was still into football at that point, but then it very quickly became apparent, oh, we've, we've got to focus a little bit more on the individual sport where clearly he's going to achieve something. And um, yeah, so it's, it's really, it's good to see that. And it's been, you know, there's other examples of, of, of that as well um, where people haven't really haven't really specialized haven't really pushed themselves and you know I think I think both of them are quite good um, at self-reflecting and I think they probably would say the same thing if you asked them I, I know Cameron in particular is regularly sort of various points in his career said oh I don't need to be I don't need to be pushing myself to go running like ridiculously fast every race I need to like you know, it's a long career I'm hopefully going to have or longish and I need to like you know do it at the right pace for me and keep progressing like as I need to and I think that's important. I think I'm right in saying that that Lee Merrion was also a fairly late developer there's probably a lot of value in even I suppose I don't know later teens or early 20s you know um, kind of focusing in. I think so. I think um, actually one of our best, you know, historically our very best women, um, Nat Whitty, was uh, she came in and did 800 metres and 1500 metres and she came into the spot. I wouldn't want to say how old she was when she came in because I don't want to get that wrong. Um, <laughs> um, but she came in from, she was predominantly basketball, I believe, but I'm fairly sure she'd been quite talented at a number of sports. And she came into the sport through the all-train challenge, I want to say. And um, like I said, like statistically, I think she's probably like our second or third best athlete on the female side ever. Um, and, you know, she literally came in, I, I'm pretty sure she would have been mid-20s when she started. Um, so, you know, that that's another great example. I mean, Lee was always in the sport. He just wasn't particularly um, talented as a kid and he, and he, you know, wasn't very strong and very, very big at that point. But, um, yeah, so it, it does go to show. And there's plenty of other examples um, of that as well. Like, I mean, like I said, people who aren't ingrained in the sport probably wouldn't know about Nat so much. Um, 
because you know she didn't really get maybe the coverage she deserves um you know for what she did achieve and the times that she achieved anyway so um yeah there's, there's good examples on male and female side which is good yeah, brilliant. And um, just looking ahead to then to the summer, I mean, in terms of who else we should look out for um, yeah, at, at a local level, uh, are, there, are there any any sort of athletes you'd like to highlight or flag or, you know? <laughs> you caught me out there. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, I, got it, I, I got this right last year because they asked me on, a, on another media outlet, asked me and I said, Abby Galpin and Chris Bain, who pretty much did go on to dominate the um, the local the local season. So um, I, would, I would see Chris... Again, probably moving on a little bit in the in the eight hundred, which would be good. Um, I would say he, he there's a young a young guy who trains with him, Gianluca Rabidiot, who um, again good multi sport example because he, he's he's represented Guernsey for football as well at various age groups, and uh, he he's moved on a lot last year actually, but um, it, he's another eight hundred meter runner who I think could could come through and do quite well. Um, had a, a great PB in the fifteen hundred. Um, which isn't his thing at all he's more he's more like I used to be actually more like 400 800 type so for, for him, he dropped to 411 in the in the 15 which was really impressive so I think he could do he could do really well um, on the female side there's quite a few to be honest that that sort of could pop through I mean Chris's sister Kate's had a bit of a hard hard time with sort of growth related injuries and things in the last couple of years I would see her um, again 800 meters um, potentially potentially doing really well um and um, maybe Rhiannon Downton, who won the she won the Island Games sprint hurdles in 2019, but never really put down a fast time um, around that sort of an amazing performance on the day. But it was headwinded, I want to say, I'm pretty sure. So it wasn't that quick and sort of hasn't really run particularly fast since then. But I, she ran a PB in the 100 metres on on Sunday and looked, um, you know, looked pretty sharp. So um she's she must be 19 this year i think so you know sort of time just to sort of kick into gear hopefully and yeah find that bit of extra speed that she's been after and so yeah that'll be someone to look out for i think brilliant i, I thought josh duke put in a good effort as well against cam on saturday if it wasn't for a slight uh slight headband incident <laughs> which i could, could see in the back of my uh my camera shot of, of cam crossing the line you caught that quite well yeah i i, I coach <laughs> i coach josh personally so I, I was trying to look for athletes i don't coach personally but um but yeah no absolutely i think um i'm quite excited to see how he goes uh, i don't think he did run a very good 400 actually irrespective of the wardrobe malfunction that he suffered um but I, I think it told me and him we had a quite good conversation last night and I think um, it told me and him there's quite a lot more to come there in the 400 and, and he beat Josh Alloway of course in the 100 which is no mean feat although they, they didn't run as fast as I would have liked but they you know it was a really good competitive run and actually for you know for the younger Josh uh, you know going and holding off the older statesman by two hundredths of a second even though they probably both didn't run a, a great technical race to actually win a race when it's close like that is a good thing to practice you know and it's a good habit to get into so yeah no i'm quite excited to see how josh does as well yeah is that sort of point one in the next coaching session as well no headbands or a haircut uh yeah we literally did speak out there yeah he's not <laughs> he's not wearing it again i don't think i think when you're when you're moving at that speed your hair's not going to get in your eyes anyway it's going to be blowing behind you so yeah <laughs> he's definitely not wearing that yeah have you ever had an incident like that have you uh no luckily not yeah I try to avoid any sort of yeah, just a hairband is fine, just tie it back. I don't need <laughs> don't need it flapping around. <laughs> just give us an insight into what training's like for you then week to week. Uh, you know, this is early on in the summer, but as you work towards those um you know, those events that you're really uh you know, earmarking for the summer. Yeah, so um because I had to I have to qualify for 
uh, the England Nationals, which I, we didn't quite realise would be so soon. I have to qualify by the 5th of June. So all of a sudden we're focusing a lot more on race prep, trying to get myself really sharp for the races. So um, this, like last week and into this week and the next few weeks, it has sort of changed quite a lot, based more speed-based, um, trying to get that speed endurance up. So hopefully... I'll be nice and quick for the first few races. And is it is it hard work that you have to put in or is it kind of selective? It's hard work. <laughs> <laughs> the state that I was in on Saturday was not good. Um, yeah, it definitely is hard work getting ready, race ready, yeah. We've spoken a fair bit about the Chalmers brothers already. I just want to finish on on you know, on that Olympic ambition. Um, Tom, just give us a, a sense of, of what Cam and Alan need to do to, to, to get to where they want to get to Olympic-wise this summer. Yeah, I think like we touched on earlier that Cameron's going to be in that relay as long as he stays healthy and, and you know, keeps this improving on this form that he's already put down. So um, I know I've, I keep speaking to him about the, getting the individual. Um, there's basically, it's quite a complicated system that they've got for qualifying, actually. So the, the qualifying time is, is very, very high. Um, so only in the world, um, you know, maybe a, a dozen, because there's only three from each country. So that knocks out quite a few people from the US, for example, in the 400s, because they're very dominant in that event. So there'll probably be about a dozen, maybe to 15 who qualify by time. And then the rest is done by world ranking. Um, so I, I, I think he can get to be the third ranked Brit based on that world ranking, which um, it just it just means that he, he'll be invited by um by world athletics to go and compete and then we're sort of we don't know what british athletics philosophy is going to be because a lot of the staff at the top have changed in the last sort of year or two um and so i think if you wound, wound it back a couple of years um they were quite strict on stuff like that they probably wouldn't unless you got the time they wouldn't let you in but i kind of suspect that that, that he might uh, might be able to get into that individual so if he can just if he can find a, a small pb uh, at the right time and get maybe second or third place in the trials then um i, I would hope that he could get the individual as well but i know that he just he's very focused on the relay he knows that maybe there's a, a medal potential there which obviously would be massive um so yeah so i don't blame him for being being quite fixated with the relay um aspect but obviously ala doesn't necessarily have that um you know option because he doesn't compete on the flat very often at all um so he he's he's after he's got a very very tough qualifying time um but i believe he's very confident he can make it and like i said similar to his brother if he doesn't make that he just has to make sure he's he's ranked high enough in the world and that he's in the top three in the in the country, um, and then if he is, then they, they he might get an invite. So I think he's got. I don't know how many get invite. I think it's about it's about forty eight maybe. I think they want six heats of eight. I would I imagine so. Forty eight people will get invited. Well, exciting stuff. I mean, there's going to be a lot to follow. Yeah, uh, over in the UK and, and hopefully further afield, and plenty to follow here. Well, thanks very much for coming in and, and telling us about it. Uh, yeah, best of luck, Abby, with your goals. Thanks. And we'll see you soon. Cool. Thanks for having us. Abby Galpin and Tom Druce uh, speaking to me just before. Rob, it has been some progression in local athletics, particularly in this 400-metre event, when you think back to, to where we were. Yeah, I think this 400-metre record of Cam really sort of indicative of how the sport has improved over the last 20-odd years. Um, I can remember being at Portsmouth at the Mountbatten track in 1998. Um, and that day, Stuart Tolcher became the first Guernseyman to run sub-49 seconds with a 48-78 second performance. We all thought it was absolutely gobsmackingly impressive. When you think now Cameron's basically taken three seconds off that, um, it's a remarkable achievement, especially when you bear in mind before Stuart um, ran that 
that 48, 78, 21, 23 years ago, that the previous best before then would be Keith Fuller, and that had gone back to 1969. So, you know, we see huge improvement in the 400 metres. But, of course, this is really indicative of athletics full stop, um, how it's since moved on since the millennium. It's probably, I was trying to think, what was the biggest success story in Guernsey sport in the last, since 2000? And... You weigh everything up in terms of the improvement, the numbers, overall performance, quality of the athletes, and probably athletics may well just edge the likes of cycling, triathlon, and even the influence of GFC and and Raiders in terms of the quality that they've you know they've produced in that time and still are producing, which is fantastic to see. Yeah, I think they do a great job as well, just at, at kind of knitting it all together and and packaging it, you know. Um, Certainly when you compare the sort of the, the presentation of athletics at the moment to, to Jersey, you know, it's so much more coherent. They're, they're, you know, they just seem to be, I don't know, hitting the right notes. It's remarkable. I remember being at a committee meeting, uh, Guernsey Athletic Club committee meeting, um, about 2000. We all popped up to John Goodall's house to discuss how we wanted to progress athletics. And we were sort of all very excited, but we just thought we were struggling to cope at the time and we went to Stuart Fuller uh, I seem to remember at the time and and it was the, probably the very early days of the sports commission or what preceded it and we managed to get a development officer on board because we felt that sport was expanding so quickly that it needed some somebody paid to um, cater with the actual overall organisation um, it moved on. Probably the first development officer wasn't quite what we wanted at the time, but then we moved on to Lee Marion, and then since then we've moved on to Dale. Uh, through Dale, who's been helping out, and then also to um, now Tom Druce. And the organisation organisation within the club is absolutely brilliant. It just keeps getting better and better. So fair play to them. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with sport. The only minor aggravation I've got is this, <laughs> is this slight tendency to. Um, Overplay the um, the sprints and where where the sprints are run. I mean, I you know I, I do laugh and the number of times we see these um, these sprint races, hundred meters and two hundred meters, turn around the other way to um, to cater for the the positive wins. And I think that's a little bit false, to be honest. I think um, um, you go away to the county championships or any major event, you have to put up with what you've got on that day, and. Hampshire being a prime example, you can be there for two days on the trot. One day that is a fierce gale blowing down the um, down the straight against 100 metres, and the 200 metres runners have a whale of a time on the same day. And the next day it's completely um, completely the other way around. And um, I just think I, I don't like to see it to be honest too often. I can understand it occasionally if it's exceptional um, exceptional wins, but um, no, I, don't, I, I wish they didn't do it. Well, there you go. Athletics, you've been told. <laughs> let's move on then. Uh, Gareth, um, let's talk about the golf this week because we had a brand new event. The Guernsey Press-sponsored Elite Men's Foursomes Championship uh, took place over the weekend, a qualifying round, as, as we were talking about last week, and into a, a final last night, um, which was won by Jeremy Nicholl and Jake Marshall over Arthur Evans and Ollie, uh, Ollie Chedham. Um, just give us a sense of, of how competitive this week has been and, and, and last night's final as well because there was some good golf played in difficult conditions yeah it was um it was typical i suppose of, of a tournament held over sort of five days that qualifying and the first knockout stage was played on beautiful weather at the weekend it was sunny and barely a breath of wind which for Langtress is absolutely amazing 
Of course, then it comes to the semi-finals and final. It's blowing an absolute hooli. Um, I'm out there in five layers of clothes, getting freezing cold. But um, no, the quality of golf we've seen over the last few days was um, was excellent. Um, certainly in the final, there was a, just a couple of um, highlights from um, going down the fifth and sixth holes, which were crosswind. I mean, the Wesley was whipping in and. Jez Nicol hit a two iron down the fifth to within about 100 yards of the green. And um, for those people who don't know, that is a huge hit with a, with an iron. And then on the very next hole, he, he hits this um, low <laughs> draw round the dog leg on the par five sixth onto the middle of the green. And it's an absolute brilliant shot. And it just sort of shows the difference between like a, a scratched uh, or a category one uh, handicap to, to us mere mortals who play off a lot higher handicaps. Um, but it was also the the whole tournament was very much it's it's, it's what you describe as tournament sport in that um, just getting through qualifying was the important bit. You don't have to play brilliantly in qualifying. Um, I mean, the top qualifiers were the two Dannys, Blondel and Bisson, and I mean they finished miles ahead of everyone else. But as long as you get in the knockout stages, you've got the chance. And they lost their opening uh, their their quarterfinal to Roland Mills and Rory McKenna, who'd only just scraped through the qualifiers. And that's exactly what can happen. And it's all about just turning up on the day. Um, to be fair, Arthur and Ollie, I think they just have the look of a really good pairing for foursomes. It's uh, the alternate shot format re- relies on you to basically hit it straight. And those two, then then basically no no thrills golfers, but they are very good at what they do. Um, they weren't at their best in the final. It's a bit unfortunate. Um, it's one of those things in golf. Sometimes you end up in just the wrong positions, and and you end up not being able to basically save par. But um, I'm sure Dave Jeffrey, as Ireland captain, we be looking at those two, thinking they could be a very handy foursomes partnership for the interinsulars to come. And it's just great that. Basically, in in the final, there's four players, of which three were under 25s. So it, it bodes well for the future, I think. Yeah, that is pretty encouraging. And I think I'm right in saying um, that, that you know local players don't get the chance to play this foursomes format too often. But obviously, they'll be you know they're presented with it in an interinsular competition, which you know they all will want to win, and the island will want to win. So this could be quite a crucial sort of element of preparation for them. Yeah, definitely, and especially in the last couple of years, when of course we haven't had any inter-island travel, because the one time they sort of get to play foursomes outside of um, the interinsular is in the um, CI Scratch League. So they haven't had, they won't basically be having those matches for basically the best part of two years. Um, We've got our own Scratch League, which starts next week, um, the first of the matches there. They get to play foursomes in that, and we, I mean, that was basically introduced as a tournament to give the island players more practice and more competitive practice at the, the elements that they don't get to play very often. So, um, yeah, foursomes is, is the one which it's actually, it's, I, f- I find it almost perhaps the most fascinating one because, you know, you <laughs> You don't want to be apologising to your partner every shot if you keep putting them in trouble. So um, it certainly makes you concentrate. And um, I think um, some of the pairings that were put out by Dave in this new tournament, um, they were quite eye-opening, but they, they worked pretty well, actually. Certainly the, the, the two finalists um, deservedly got there. And there was also a couple of others, people like um, CJ Elmy and Daniel Griggs, you perhaps wouldn't put together as a as a combination, but they, they worked very well. Oh, well, you can hear more from Dave Jeffrey on the Guernsey Press website, guernseypress.com slash sports, and also a few of the, the choice shots from uh, last night's final. I was filming. It is hard to keep up with, <laughs> with a foursomes match because 
two of the players stride off, you know, halfway down the hole, and by the time you've caught up with them, they're playing the next shot. That's what makes it even harder for their partners because their partners thinking they're obviously expecting me to put this right in the middle of the fairway and not have to look for it too long. So yeah, it does add that bit of pressure. Pressure's on, and of course uh, you'll have a full report in Friday's paper. So look out for that. Oh, well, let's um, just quickly talk about the weekend to come then um one set of fixtures that won't be happening is the, the weekend league cricket because uh, the rain looks like it will claim those yeah they've decided um because of the forecast and also there's been a, a couple of clashes with other sports because of the way sort of the winter sports and the summer, summer sports are overlapping because of lockdowns and things like that there would have been a few unavailabilities so they've taken the early decision to rearrange what was going to be this weekend's fi- weekend's fixtures um, to the 26th of June. Um, so, yeah, cricket is put on hold for a week, basically. Rob, where are you going to be? I'll be at Blanche Pier Lane and probably at Northfield. As the kickoff times being staggered this weekend. Gives me the chance to see Saints play Sylvans. We're in the pick of the, pick of the games, no doubt. It's a five o'clock kickoff, Blanche Pier Lane. Sylvans have held them twice so far this season in the league and only got picked by them in extra time in the Jeremy. Um, with Carl Smith playing, um, Sylvan's got a full side. It could be a tight game for Saints. Probably, I'd say they're probably their last big hurdle to clear because although they've got Bells to play, um, Bells are struggling with a few injuries at the moment, I gather. So I expect a good game up there. And earlier I'll probably pop along to see North, see if they can maintain their good form when they play their Grand Fork Road neighbours, Valrec, in a two o'clock game. Um, North seem to have really got the bit between the teeth the last few weeks and it's not beyond the realms of possibility they could sneak third place which would be a big turn up for the books Yeah, quite competitive in that mid-table Yeah, there's four sides going for it If I put my money on who's going to get third place I'd probably just sneak bells buy a whisker There we go (laughs) Um, And of course we've got Liberation Day on Sunday and the traditional Liberation Day run. Yeah, we'll be going down to see that race from um, from basically the Hume into town. Um, it's been running since 1946 every year. Great race. Um, I'm not. I haven't, I've seen the forecast to see which way the wind wind is blowing, but um, I'd expect that uh, Richard Friedrich will take some beating again. Although James. James Priest may well choose to run and push him quite hard, as will Will Bodkin. I can assure you Will Bodkin will probably be first to um, Lele. He always makes quick starts. Um, it's interesting to see if he can actually maintain it this this time and um, keep pushing Richard all the way through to the end. No course reversals there, then? No, but that's an interesting idea. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's leave it there then. Uh, That's just about all for today's Guernsey Press Sport podcast. Do hit follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review if you can. Um, Check us out on Facebook, uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. Uh, All of those at GSY Press Sport. And pick up a paper as well, of course, over the weekend um, for all the latest uh, from across local sport. Uh, Thanks very much, guys. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 